What you missed on weekend mornings with Jason Dacey. Money FM 89.3. Stay ahead here with Jason Desmond covering for uh, Jason Dacey. I know it's very confusing, but he's actually away on assignment in India for the World Cup for India TV. So he's been uh, covering the games, reviewing the games, and also speaking to some very, very interesting people there. So we're going to be checking in with him slightly later on. But we, right here in the studio, we're having a very interesting chat about playgrounds with Rachel Eng, who is the assistant manager for programs and curatorial for the National Museum of Singapore. Her background includes her research background. She loves military, imperial, sport history. Um, but she's a curator of the more we get together, Singapore's playgrounds from 1930 to 2030. I know the 2030 one's going to be in 10, 12 years on. But why did the National Museum decide to hold this exhibition? Well, um, we realised that playgrounds are such a big part of the way that Singaporeans grow up. And not just Singaporeans, like play in itself is something that people can relate to, something that they re- um, reconcile with their childhood. So right. we wanted to do something that was relevant to people and was relevant to Singaporeans. And we realised that playgrounds, there's so much merchandise out there. Like, for example, one of our exhibits is just merchandise and it's not anything that we commissioned. It's just that we bought all these stuff right. from the market. Like what? What do you... What yeah, are you- like, like doorstops that are shaped as dragons or tote bags or onesies, even like a dragon rocking horse. So there's a lot of stuff out there and we wanted to interrogate that and ask why are people producing these things and why are people interested in buying them? Is it an idea of owning heritage or is it just aesthetic or what, what is the impulse in there? Right. So from that, we realised that playgrounds were something that people related to growing up, people related to their memories and Fun times, really. And yeah. so we wanted to use that as a launching pad for something that people could come and um, bring their kids and, you know, have fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's such a massive part of our childhood. Yeah. That means you're outside there all the time. But there are playgrounds that are indoors right now. Things have changed. Uh, you're, you're in your 20s now. Uh, do you remember when you were a young kid playing the playgrounds? And how different is it, like, back when you were a kid and now? Just looking at putting the whole exhibit together, did you get like nostalgic? Yeah, it was it was quite nostalgic because um, in Vignette Three, which is the nineties to present, we have a two point five meter rope play equipment, right? Which yeah. is based on the rope play pyramid in West Coast Park. Okay. Yeah, and right. when I was a kid, I used to go to that playground and like climb the pyramid and everything. So I mean, actually being able to bring that little thing in and. We worked with the actual people who built the playground in West Coast Park nice. to bring this in. So that was quite a nostalgic and fun moment for me. Now, why put it like 1930? Was there a period before 1930 where there were no playgrounds, where kids were just like uh, climbing rocks and stuff like this? Why 1930? Yeah, so actually in 1928, that was the first um, playground that was built right. in the Singapore. The official one, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, before that, there weren't really um, playgrounds as the way we conceptualize it. Right. There were like, a few open parks and open spaces and some recreational fields and all that but it was really um, secluded and actually locked off for the general public so right. these belong to like um, schools or public club uh, private clubs and all that Okay. so actually the first open space designated playground was only 1928 that's why we chose to start from the 1920s all right. and it was probably like was it a, a national thing where it's like yes playgrounds are, are important it's all about motor skills it's all about what Looking at how you put the thing together, that's obviously, because it's the National Museum of Singapore, how hard was it to find details, historical documents about when they started? Because it says here, you actually found the original blueprints of the famous Dragon Playground by Mr. Khor Yen Gi. How hard is it to find like original documentation for playgrounds back in 1930? 
Oh, impossible! Almost impossible. So we actually had to look at a lot of newspapers. They're not like. Um, documentation um, per se because the first playgrounds were actually built by the community itself. Right. It wasn't a government initiative. Yeah. It was just people writing into the Straits Times, Singapore Herald and asking why aren't there open spaces because in the 1930s Singapore was overcrowded. There were a lot of um, slums and the streets were yep, packed. Yep, yep. So they actually wanted places for their kids to play and where they could go and relax. So the first playground was which was built in Dobie got quite close to the museum actually. Right. It was built by Chinese businessmen community leaders. Right. They just decided oh we'll buy a piece of playground um, we'll buy a piece of land and then we'll put playground, playground. in it. Yeah. So it was, is it still there though? Uh, no, it was torn down 70s, 80s. Man, yeah. no remnants of it. What is no, it right it's, now? No, um, it's Sota. What? Sota. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, there's nothing left. But. I don't care. I'm going to go to Sota after this. I'm going to just start climbing stuff and I'm like, it's a playground, man. <laughs> Jeez. But key highlights of, for you personally putting the, putting this thing together and curating it. I mean, like, you're going to go like, this is important, this is important, but your own personal favorite part of the exhibition, what is it? I think for me, it was actually being able to talk to the uh, people who built it. So as you mentioned, Mr. Koangi donated his playground blueprints to us. Yeah. So he was the first um, HDB designer. So he designed all the mosaic playgrounds. He designed right. about 30 or 40 of them. Okay. And for the exhibition, we actually went to talk to him and find out what he thought about... So he had like some major input in this. Sorry? He had some major input into how so, things were. Um, Mr. Ko? Yeah. Yeah, so he we filmed him for an 18-minute um, video. Oh, nice. Um, along with like Mr. Liu Taika and all, um, Mrs. Maria Boy and Miss, Mrs. Liloy Kuiwa, yep, yep. all of whom worked on playgrounds. So actually being able to go there and listen to them and how they conceptualized the playground and what they thought when they were designing things was very interesting for me. Nice. All right, now coming up, let's talk a little bit about challenges and maybe what we can expect in the playgrounds of the future. Obviously, it's not going to be real, but from just from looking at how things evolve, you can kind of expect to see how things are. Is it all going to be VR? Is it all going to be a different kind of a reality? We'll talk all about that in a bit right in here on Money FM 89.3. Only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3 year with Jason Desmond on weekend mornings covering for Jason Daisy who's away on World Cup duty in India. But right now in the studio we have Rachel Eng who's the assistant manager for programs and curatorial for the National Museum of Singapore. And she put together this really great thing. The more get together, Singapore's playgrounds from 1930 to 2030. I'm definitely going to be heading over to the National Museum of Singapore uh, to check it out. But you know what? Every time I go to the, to the museum... I see all these amazing things, and I'm like, how did they do it? So putting this together, because there's like a lot that's been going on, especially with playgrounds, something being so focused as well. What are the challenges of putting an exhibit like this together? Well, I think, um, as you mentioned, like 1930s, there's barely any documentation or anything. So we really had to like go to the archives and just search playgrounds and like find sort through everything so hundreds right. and hundreds of newspaper articles yeah. and like trying to figure out when was the first playground what the narrative was in the 1930s and 40s and yeah. all the way to the present and also figuring out the um, chronology of the 70s and 90s when HDB was building their own playgrounds right. trying to figure out like which was the first playground that they built and all yeah. that what yeah. did they put in were, were they like yeah. little jungle gyms were they like seesaws and everything mm -hmm. What what is your personal favourite though I mean like that was super hard like oh my goodness why can't I find this thing I, I remember playing this when I was a kid but there's nothing there's no there's no documentation on this well, um, luckily I grew up in the 90s, so like yeah, yeah. There, there was quite a, f a lot of documentation and it was like the West Coast Park playground right. and all that. Um, my personal favourite was actually the 1928 playground because it was so 
you know, close to Dobie got in. Right. It was a nice cycle of like 90 years yeah. since 2008. You have a so. unique perspective looking at this, putting this whole thing together. How different was it back then? Obviously, safety is of utmost important right, uh, importance right now because if the kids fall, there's, there's like a special padding. Um, obviously, back then, probably things were made out of metal and then they, they, could, they could rust and stuff like this. Now it's all made out of... How different was it back then to now? Yeah, so um, definitely last time the playgrounds were like very basic equipment like swing slides. There wasn't any narrative in putting them together. It yeah. was just like, oh, we buy a swing and we put it there. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's all paint and metal and everything. Yeah. So there was actually this very interesting moment in the 70s mm. where Mr. Core realised that paint and metal did not work in the Singaporean context. Right. So what he did was he asked the contractor and the contractor actually suggested mosaic tiles, glass mosaic tiles right. to wash. Okay. Um, because once you wash them once, it's like completely clean. And that's right. how the mosaic tile playgrounds came about. It wasn't like an aesthetic decision. It was just like Easy Singapore weather is terrible. Right, and therefore, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was a very interesting um, point. Now, um, what's up in the future for us? I mean, looking at how things are, and uh, this is such an old person thing to say right now. I'm going to do this anyway. But kids these days, they just have way too many gadgets, right? Are they playing in playgrounds? How important is it to a child's development to be uh, at the playground? Well, actually, um, because we went to a lot of playgrounds for the research and everything, and when we were bringing people around to see the playgrounds, there yeah. were a lot of kids yeah. at the playgrounds, especially in the evenings after like school. Yeah. And they just come by themselves. Like we went to a playground in Sembawang, which is the first community built playground. Okay. And so it's surrounded by HDB flats and people would just come down and play without, even without sometimes um, parents or anything. They just, right. and they play with other kids that they don't know. And it was really great to see because I think the perception nowadays is that, yeah, kids don't go to playgrounds yeah. or kids stay at home and play on their iPhones or anything. But yeah. it's also, I mean, there are kids still going out and playing. And I think it's also the way that um, parents look at it. Like, yeah. I mean, if the parent gives them the phone and lets them play and stay inside, then they're yeah. not going to go out exactly. in and of themselves. Yeah. But if people bring their kids to the playgrounds, and they are people bringing their kids to the playgrounds, then we have a great playground culture. Exactly. Yeah. So what can, we, what can we expect in 2030? It's it's actually in the in the exhibit, right? Yeah. So we have an entire room dedicated to like future playgrounds because right. what we wanted to do was um, people go through the history and development of playgrounds and then they figure out what they want from the future. Right. So and we know that you know twelve years is not gonna like change a lot. Yeah. And actually, from the twenties and thirties, you still have swings and slides, and we still have swings and slides today. Right. But maybe what happens is that we reimagine playground equipment or repurpose it. So in the future room. We actually worked with SUTD to create three sort of forward-looking pieces of equipment. So they use like the normal swing slide seesaw right. um, equipment, but they reimagined it a little. So like a three-person swing or a rectangular oh, right. seesaw, okay. yeah, where pe- um, more than one person can, one or two people can sit on it. So it's a lot of uh, little tweaks and everything, yeah. and also yeah, maybe digital technology. Um, so we also have uh, input stations where people can select what playground equipment they want, right. where they want to play, what time they want to do it, and. So it's more looking at the way that people use playgrounds and what playgrounds mean. Maybe not necessarily like a technological development, like suddenly we are playing in the sky or something. But right, right. It's really about the purpose and the use of it. Um, did you, in the course of putting this together, do research about playgrounds in other countries? 
Um, we didn't really, yeah. but um, we actually uh, found out that Singapore, like purportedly Singapore is one of the highest number of playgrounds per capita in the world. Yeah. And so that was very interesting in the terms of juxtaposing Singapore's playground industry to international playgrounds. Yeah. So while we didn't look at the specific kinds of international playgrounds that were out there, we looked at industries and Singapore is actually one of the world leaders in the playground industry. We right. started okay. like... Um, using inclusive playground equipment very early, yeah. senior playgrounds, 3G playgrounds. Mm. So that was quite a good point in the sense that yeah, Singapore is quite a lead in play- right. international playgrounds. Because I, I asked only because like I, having I, I go to Europe uh, a bit and I, I see how they are over there and I'm like, wow, we have it here in Singapore. So it, it looks almost exactly the same. And then you go to Ikea and then kids are playing that, that small little playground-y kind of a thing. It's completely different because it's indoors. There are loads of balls and everything. And now kids, there are some where they actually play in this cage thing in a mall. And then there's like loads of balls and there are like all these nets and then you can shoot each other. The evolution is what uh, is what I'm wondering about. Like, is it, will kids having been exposed to so much online, are they still going to be interested? I mean, like, sure, there are kids in the playgrounds, but what's the actual number? Like, maybe the ones that we see, sure, they like being outdoors, but there are, maybe there's like 80% of kids is like, I don't like being outdoors. It's too hot and everything. Like, are kids still going to be excited about playgrounds by 2030? I think so, because, I mean, looking at all the kids that come to our exhibition, the first thing they go to is the playground equipment on the right. sandpit, and then they just play, or sit on the swing, and then they're swinging. It's a, it's a very natural human thing, I think, just to want to play and want to interact. Maybe they might not want to go outside, but yeah, the indoor playgrounds, there are different things that people can do, and... I do think that kids will just continue to play. It's a right. it's a very natural. Did the parents start getting in on it? The parents are yeah. like oh, get away! Don't yeah, yeah, don't yeah. touch that sun. It's mine. Yeah, the parents love the sandpit. Really? I think I think nostalgia as well as like just plain fun and digging and right. Know. Yeah, nice. All right. So uh, are there um, guided tours or is it just a walk around near the rotunda? What? It's um pretty self guided. You can actually bring yourself through the exhibition. But what we have is a family playbook. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time that the museum is producing a book which actually guides families through the exhibition. Right. And yeah, there are a lot of activities and there are a lot of points at which you can start conversations with your kids and talk about you know the past and the present and all that kind of thing. And yeah, so it is yeah mostly self guided. But I I believe that some of the museum volunteers are also doing tours. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And you're there Monday to Friday, not today. Yeah. All right, cool. So <laughs> it's very experiential. It's great. The more we get together, Singapore's playgrounds, 1930 to 2030. Um, how, how much longer is this going to be running for? It's all the way until 30th of September. Right. So there's more than enough time for you to be there. Check it out. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Rachel Eng, Assistant Manager, Programs and Curatorial, National Museum of Singapore. Anything that you want to tell kids to do for playgrounds or... Maybe any designers or anything? How did how did they get in touch with you? Just get just email you at the National Museum? Yeah, basically. I yeah, like that. All right. That. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. All right, we'll have more music coming your way right here at Money FM 89.3.